0: Hey there, and welcome to the Life Saving Gratitude Podcast. I'm Bunny Terry with my co-host, Johanna Medina, and today we're talking to Danielle Ripley Burgess. Danielle is not only the author of a couple of books, but she is a colon cancer survivor just like me. The only difference is Danielle was diagnosed when she was 17 years old, which is almost unheard of. But lest you think that colon cancer is just an old man's disease, it's really not. More and more people are being diagnosed with colon cancer every day. But what I was struck with when we did this, when we talked to Danielle, was that every single time we start a podcast, I think the conversation is going to to go one particular way and I have an idea of what we're going to talk about. And then it just it ends up being much deeper and, and much different from what I thought it was going to be. Was it, did you think the same thing, Johanna?
1: Yeah. I mean, I always, I agree with you. I always think that, um, you know, I have a kind of on paper view of how these people are. Usually if it's not somebody I really know, then I kind of think, oh yeah, maybe it's going to go one way. Um, I, I had met and, knew danielle a little bit from fight crc but um i didn't know the like you said the depths of her story and i think we also caught her like she mentions in the episode at a really hard time um she doesn't go into details about what's going on but she does i mean she even says this is one of the hardest weeks she's had since cancer so it's obviously something really really hard and you know I really appreciate her coming on anyway and even sharing where she is in that in the moment right now and feeling like that's important to share too not to always share the happy endings of stories but to also be able to talk and share during the suffering too so i was really grateful for that
0: well and i think she she alluded to being authentic and she, and this was a podcast where our guest was completely authentic. And, and I, I just don't think you want to stay tuned, stay, stay to the very end to see um, first you want to hear her story because she was a junior in high school and had been suffering some um, rectal bleeding for years. Mm -hmm. And because of a body image that, that, I would say almost the majority of young women face these days. She was afraid to talk about what her body was doing.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: She's here to tell the story and it's a really important story. So um, stay tuned for Danielle Ripley
1: Burgess. And be sure to check our description, uh, the podcast description, wherever you're listening for links to find Danielle and the things she's working on. And you can also find those links on our website at bunnyterry.com slash podcast. So
0: Danielle, I'm so excited that you're our guest today. We Uh, I always like to let folks know how you and I got acquainted, and I I know you also met Johanna at the same time. Um, I came for the first time to Fight Colorectal Cancer's call on Congress in March of 2014. And I had already read your blogs before. I had followed some of the things that you did for the organization then, but that's how we met. Um, I. I, I think it's really, um, I know we're going to touch on how you became an advocate, but tell us just a little bit uh, quickly s- s- what fight colorectal cancer is and how you became involved so that people know how you and I came together.
2: Yeah. Well, I met, yeah, we met at Colon Congress in DC and that was actually, that was my second event. So I hadn't been involved. So I, so I am a colorectal cancer survivor. I think I should probably start there. Um, Yes. I was diagnosed with colon cancer a few weeks after I turned 17. I was a junior in high school, Um, just out of nowhere. I hadn't even heard of colon cancer. So when they told me that's what I was dealing with, I was pretty shocked but I was also very young and I like to say ignorance is bliss because I really didn't understand what I was dealing with. So after my diagnosis, I did what I needed to do to get through treatment and kind of get, get back on with my life. But over the years, as that happened, cancer kind of kept entering my world. And I say, it's not like it ever went away. I was going to doctor's appointments and checkups and things, but, being so young, I hadn't fully processed what that meant and found meaning for it because I was so busy trying to get married and go to college and just start start my life, you know, be young 20s. But around that time, I was probably in my mid-20s when I really did start thinking about the fact I was a cancer survivor and what that meant to me. I, I was also facing fear recurrence, um, and just kind of in a place where I realized I probably needed more support uh, than I had prior, previously had. And so that is part of how I got connected with fight colorectal cancer, or we nickname it fight CRC. Mm-hmm. i had actually first gotten involved with a smaller group that's a grassroots organization called the Colon Club. And the Colon Club focuses on telling stories of people diagnosed under age 50. And they were doing a project at the time called the Colander and i got selected to be in it and so here i was this midwestern girl from middle of the country here i come from kansas city missouri they fly me to new york upstate new york it's beautiful we do a photo shoot and all of a sudden i'm meeting a lot of other people like me and i had never met another colon cancer survivor before that point much less a younger person and that weekend just really changed my life and because i was still so young Now, although this was about seven years after my initial diagnosis, so it was far out for me, but yet, I was still very young. I was in my mid-20s. I found a lot of purpose in that weekend, and that put me on a path toward being more involved in advocacy, looking for other survivors, and then just this passion for storytelling and telling my story. I had gone to college to do public relations and writing and editing, so... It's just one of those things, our worlds collided and a colon club model introduced me to fight CRC Mm -hmm. and they were coming through my town and they were looking for survivor stories. They were about to launch an awareness campaign. And he said, Hey, they're going to be in your neighborhood. You should check this group out. So I met them, told my story. And like a lot of stories go, the rest is history. Um, They were looking for communication support. They were growing. They wanted to do some big things and wanted to communicate. They wanted to hire a communications director and said, Danielle, would you come do this? And I said, you guys just offered me my dream job. You have no idea. Awesome. Um, so I just stumbled into it. It's crazy. Um, stumbled into it and yeah, but we met, I was new at the time. I had only been there about a year when, when we met and I served in that role for about five years. So I got us up and going got the team, got the department, so to say, established, and then um, did step away out of that full-time role a few years ago just to balance family and mental health with the demands of a job like that. Uh, It was pretty big, um, but I've been real fortunate to stay connected with the team. And today I'm back in a role, I'm a limited role, but I'm our chief storyteller at Fight CRC. So now I'm just narrowly focused on telling my story and then looking for other survivor stories to tell.
0: I love that. And I wanna very quickly tell our guests that you've written a book, you've actually published two books, um, Blush, How I Barely Survived um, 17, which is um, about your experience, it's life experience, but also this big looming, Cancer issue and um we 're going to we 're going to post links so that people can find both your books and then you did this that um, amazing piece the the advent devotionals that I love but i want first of all, I want people to know before we begin that I know a lot of the you know when I ask you a question i've i 've reread your book in fact, I read it when I got it, and then over the last couple of days, I reread it and It is such a story of, um, I mean, this is what happens when we get cancer. It's like, it's it's incredible. First, it's, you're so bewildered. I mean, even at 51, when I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, I was, what? I'm like the most, I'm the healthiest person I know. Yeah,
2: Yeah.
0: And you're bewildered. And then of course, you're frightened. And then you're sort of resigned. You know, you talk about how you know those lower body only. Yet, you, where you, you heard that you had more lower body exams than most men have in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> but the book is such a story of hope. So maybe the best way to do this is for you just to start. You know what what led up to your diagnosis and. And, and what should people know? And we have a lot of listeners who, like you, when you were diagnosed, are sort of like colon cancer. That's like an old white man's disease. Or, mm-hmm. There's so many misconceptions, especially about younger people being diagnosed. Don't you find that?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's getting, uh, I don't know if it's the right word is getting better. Well, it's improving. <laughs> um, it's, it's, let's see. The the awareness is improving the reality is rates are increasing. So that's not good. Right. It's improving because people are getting sicker younger and younger with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Tell us the parts of your story that you want to share with our listeners.
2: Sure. Well, thanks for thanks for reading Blush. Um, it was a labor of love and it, <laughs> yeah. It was a it was a process. It was about a five year process to write the book because as I was writing it, I was healing. And that is why I did take that step away from Fight CRC, because I knew I was not able to hold my story and give it the space it needed and hold other people's stories full time. Mm -hmm. So that was a big career move. Um, It just sensed that it was right for me. And I wrote the book, you know, one to definitely encourage other survivors and other people going through cancer, but I started at the beginning, you know, I, I take people through when I'm in fourth grade and going through puberty and getting my period and throwing my salad away at lunch and trying not to eat much because I wanted to be skinnier um, like my friends. And so I start going into just this body shame and self image. That this negative self-image that I carried as a young female that I don't think I'm alone in. I think a lot of young females can relate to just being confused about your body when you're young and not liking what you see, especially when you don't feel like you look like people on TV and magazines and these days on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started where I do, because one of the biggest questions I've been asked over the years is, how could I see blood in the stool, which was my main symptom? How could I see it so long and not tell anybody? Because I estimate I saw that symptom probably starting in eighth grade, so a good three or four years before I ever saw a doctor. And I have to say, you know, you have to understand how I was feeling at the time and what I was going through. And what I was carrying, you know, the last thing I wanted to do is stop and talk about my body mm-hmm. and look at my own body, much less have somebody else look at it and know what was going on. So that was a big motivation of just uh, bringing awareness to, especially I wanted moms um, and young girls to know how to have these hard conversations and the critical nature of hard conversations when you're young. So that's where I started um, that's a big piece. I always want people to know, you know, this isn't, an, uh, this isn't a usual story I get, it's pretty unique. It's still considered rare, even with early onset colorectal cancer rates on the rise. I mean, a teen with this disease is still quite odd, um, but, you know, looking back, there were some things that I would have done differently And there were some stories that I couldn't tell back then that I needed to tell. So that's a big piece of my story. Mm
1: -hmm. What finally got you to the point where you, you know, did say something is wrong or, you know, where you did finally get, I guess, comfortable enough to tell someone that you.
2: So I say, I say, I feel like I got busted to be honest. (laughs) So another layer of this, as you know, you guys know, when you're diagnosed with cancer it's not like that's the only thing going on in your world it sometimes just reveals everything else going on mm. <laughs> so in the midst of this you know my my parents were not getting along they were fighting they were in a really unhealthy relationship so that was part of why i did not insert myself into the family conversation of something wrong with me because i just was trying to stay hidden as much Mm -hmm. as I could. But um, this guy I was dating was awesome. He had been my best friend and then moved to college and we were like, oh gosh, we miss each other more than we thought we would. So we start dating and it's actually one night on the phone to him that I had a pretty scary situation where I saw a lot of blood, like more than usual. Mm -hmm. And I didn't tell him exactly what was going on, but I told him, hey, I was like, I think I need to see a doctor. Um, I think something's wrong. Yeah. And um, you know, a few years prior to that, I had told my mom I was seeing a little blood and she looked it up and it we thought it was hemorrhoids because that seemed to make sense for what I was seeing. But as the years went on, things got that bad. And so I mentioned it to my, my boyfriend and he started pestering me to see a doctor. And to be honest, my the reason the only reason I went to a doctor is my parents overheard him and then realized this little problem I'd mentioned a few years prior was still going on, rushed me to the GI and from there there was no more hiding it and I was busted.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm well, glad he you. did that. Yeah. Well, who
2: I married? I think who? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, we're, that's the we're next now Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. He's your hero in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. But you were in your junior year of high school. I mean, I um, I, you you were worried about grades and about your parents and about yeah. um. It it is true that when cancer shows up, it's just it's. I mean, people think it's, and it is all-encompassing, but it's also just another piece of your life, and you have to learn to continue to navigate your life while you're doing Mm -hmm. that, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, definitely. I don't know a survivor who's been fortunate to, like, kind of have nothing going on, and then all of a sudden they got cancer. (laughs) Like, no, like, you're balancing family and relationships and uh, job or school, in my case. And, Mm -hmm. you know, life's not exactly easy for anybody. Um, so ca- cancer is just a magnifying glass on how well you really are or are not doing.
0: Well, and so you did, um, you had surgery and some treatment, you were stage three, as I mm-hmm. recall. And, and if you're like me, when I was diagnosed, I didn't, ha- I didn't have any clue what those stages meant. So tell people yeah. what stage three means.
2: Yeah, I was stage three. So it means it was not only in my colon, but it was in several lymph nodes that they had removed during surgery. So because it was in the lymph system, it could have been circulating anywhere. And so we needed some aggressive treatment to make sure that if it was in other cells and they couldn't tell any metastases which that would be stage four bunny like you they didn't see it in any organs yet um but they went ahead and i i didn't realize this actually until working with fight crc and learning learning all the treatment protocols because back then my parents decided all i i was just went where i was told
1: yeah
2: but um in learning how they treat late stage colorectal cancer, which is stage three and four, they treated me like a stage four patient. And I didn't know that Mm. back then. So they were so concerned with my age and what they were seeing that they went ahead and, and did the full regimen. They were, it was relentless. So that was, I had surgery, chemotherapy and radiation. So you're 17
0: you You survive, obviously, because you're here talking to us and you, and you get through all of that, <laughs> yeah, and then what happened I mean, uh, then my th- parents got
2: divorced yeah <laughs> 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 one other thing
0: you you talk yeah. about being in therapy and how your feelings were like the layers of a cake, I was like that's such a great visual because that's that is what your feelings look like, especially you're, you're already an adolescent, which is its own sort of disease sometimes.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Something to survive (laughs) in itself. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm 17. You know, after I finished treatment, I went on to senior year and graduated high school on time I wow. knew I wanted to go into communications work out of high school. And so went to a school, not too far, but had a really great PR program. Um, my parents did end up splitting my freshman year of college, which was kind of another hurdle to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, you know, I went, I went through college. Uh, Mike and I did end up getting married and started career uh, bought a home. We kind of just started to build a life. Um, and the interesting turn in my story is, you know, I mentioned, I'm building this life, getting involved in the cancer community as a survivor. I'm like, Oh, I can be pretty inspirational to, you know, other people. And then I didn't realize though, how much I would need that community because I did end up facing a second cancer and. During a routine colonoscopy, it had been three years, and my doctor saw something that he didn't think he'd ever see before. At that point, he didn't think it was, he wasn't sure it was cancer and actually tested that it wasn't. But he, I remember waking up from that scope and he said, Danielle, I think your cancer's like, I think it's gonna try and come back. And he said, I think we need to be aggressive and, uh, have a surgery to remove almost all of your large intestine. It's called a subtotal colectomy. So he left me about mm. 13 inches. And he said, I think that way it's less to scope, less to monitor because for some reason your, your colon's grown polyps and I think they're gonna turn cancerous. So fortunately he made that pretty strong recommendation that I go ahead and have the surgery. I sat on it for a while, I didn't wanna do it, but I took his advice about six months later, I had that surgery And thank goodness I did because what he found actually was cancer again. And so here I am 25 years old. It was eight years after my first diagnosis and then I'm facing uh, colon cancer a second time. Uh, This one was stage one, which means it was local. So it hadn't spread anywhere else. It was all contained in that spot, which is why you get screened. That's why you hear everyone say get screened for colon cancer because if you can find it there early it's a less um, physical fight because I just, I had the surgery. It was not a cakewalk, but I uh, yeah. got through it and I didn't need treatment after that.
1: Wow. Well, that's just so crazy. You think, you know, I already went through this once and I I went through all the treatment and now I'm done. And, it, you know, it shouldn't be something you have to worry about again. And then to have to, to get that news again, is I can't imagine. I mean, I know that's mom always a fear of yours every time you go for a scan and like, is it going to come back no matter how long it's been?
0: I actually, I recently visited, I I had a visit with a chiropractor and we were talking about, I had frozen shoulder and he said, it feels to me like you hold a lot of stuff. You hold a lot of um, tension in your shoulders. He said, is some of that health related? And I said, I have to tell you that once you go through the sort of cancer scare, you sort of, you, you think to yourself, okay, I, I did my part now, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd like for the bad health piece to touch somebody else. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I've already done my gig. Let's, I did my know.
2: time. <laughs> right.
0: I, my did you corona. have some of that? Did you? <laughs>
2: yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm still on the car- the carousel. Um, yeah well and that's the thing we stay on it
0: it's that's the myth that that you know life hard life stops happening but um i you you talked about early when you were young in the fourth grade going through puberty you really um you didn't love your body and then after you get cancer you I my experience was that I sort of I was ticked off I was like my body betrayed me and like you I was also ticked off at God I was like uh I played by all the rules I did all the things um I it's talk talk to me a little bit about that anger if you feel comfortable with that that anger at your body anger anger just anger oh yeah lots of anger (laughs) yeah you have to yeah you have to figure out a way to get through it don't you
2: Oh yeah. You know, I, I I don't know if I didn't feel angry when I was 17 or I just didn't have the tools to process that. But when I was 25 facing cancer a second time in the middle of, you know, the, one of the prime of my life, Mm -hmm. I got, I got really angry. I did need therapy to help me get in touch with that. Um, but that process was, starting to be honest with how i felt and i was angry about just about everything and actually what turned out to be one of the more healing pieces of it is is letting myself get angry or i guess admit that i was angry at god because i yeah i have yet to meet a person where it doesn't go to that depth you know i think we we work through the layers you know i'm mad at myself i'm mad at my family i'm out of my friends for deserting me I'm mad at my you know uh, everything like my body definitely betrayal like you work through that but like the deeper you go it's kind of like you hit body and to hit I'm mad at my body it's betrayed me is pretty deep but then if you can get to I don't know how you can't at least wrestle with being mad at God and be in an honest relationship or like have an honest faith I just I don't know if that's fair to say because I would probably say my faith was as genuine as it could have been when I was younger based on what I understood but it's just when when you get sick like we've been and you if you believe in some sort of higher power god for me I'm a christian so that's where I put a lot of my hope and faith but like I don't know how it doesn't rock your world and I don't know how you don't eventually go there to get through it. I think you have to reckon with that. And that is something I was not taught when I was younger growing up in the faith is that it's okay to be angry with God. It's okay to cuss him out. It's okay to like let loose on him if you, if you need that. Um, Now, when I went back, when I was coached in that way of seeing God that way, he can handle it. And then I like went back into scripture and actually saw that for myself, it's like much of the Psalms, it gave me a new perspective, but it was definitely an unlearning and relearning of a lot of things, particularly when it came to faith.
0: I I um, actually had a mentor who talked to me at one time and she said, it's okay for your prayer to be, God, I am so pissed off at you today.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So you got to hear me and you got to, and you know, it's you know there are a lot, a lot of layers, a lot of different layers to our faith. But like you, I'm a Christian too, and I think that, you know, God wants to hear from you whatever whatever it is that you need to tell Him. It's mm-hmm. that's um, that's important. But it's but it is important to figure out. Um, I mean, when we talk about how stories save us, I think that everybody has this impression that we're going to tell stories that are all goodness and light and happy endings, but there is a lot of slogging through stuff in the middle. Yeah. And we still slog through stuff every day. I mean, we still have that, but talk, talk a little bit about um, how that negative piece and all that anger turned into something different afterwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, I mean, yeah. sometimes it's a gift to have to go, go through that. It's not like you would have chosen it for yourself in the beginning.
2: Right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's funny. In all the different avenues of, that are in my story, I guess, so to say, there's all these different themes, You know, different people are going to relate to me on different levels. I will say, after publishing my book, hands down, I get more comments on getting angry with God.
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: I something about that I don't know if maybe a lot of people are like me where it's just you need to hear uh you just need to be given permission to go there you know it's not irreverent it's if you believe in having a relationship with God then that's part of having a relationship with him is getting angry and it's okay so for me um I'm still learning I would hate to have listeners think that I've got this all figured out. Um, I very much am in process of applying this uh, practice to all areas of life. But I guess I have learned that the the more honest you can get with yourself and how you feel and who you authentically are and when you can take that to safe places whether it be god or friends some usually you need both at some point uh, safe people to process that with it's a it's like a crucifying uh, journey but it it will lead you to the other side which i've found to be peace mm. and when i have pushed away the feelings. I've either pretended they're not there, I've hidden them. I've disassociated, sometimes I have no control. It's what my brain's doing in survival mode. You know, it, when I deny my authenticity, I get real wound up and bound up. But when I can just like kind of be free to be honest and be who I am and what I'm feeling, and then I combine my faith with it especially, it will take me to more places of hope and light and love and freedom. and all the things we want to find at the end of the rainbow that my faith tells me are there. Um, part, part of being a Christian for me is that the whole message is that you, you can get there. It's there, but you go through a cross. Like you, you go through suffering to get to that. And so anybody who's looking for that, that hasn't gone through a suffering journey, um, (laughs) the day they step into suffering, it's a rude awakening. Um, and I'm trying to get more comfortable with suffering the older I get because I don't think it's going away. Um, but I'm, it's this it's this balance of like learning how to suffer well and persevere through it and hanging on to hope that this will end somehow. Um, it might be, sometimes it ends in a kingdom you can't see, sometimes it ends in the kingdom you can't see, but it will end.
0: You just, you said something... I- I mean, I wanted to be writing while you were talking, but I, had, I wanted to pay attention as well. You said, when I don't live in my authenticity, I get really wound up and bound up. I think—I mean, that's, that feels to me like something that you want to put on an index card and keep with you. Um, I, I mean, the whole wound up and bound up idea, I don't, I, people tend to live their lives wound up and bound up. Mm-hmm. it's really hard to escape that. What, what, what would you tell them? I mean, I know you just told them, but how, what's the yeah. simplest even?
1: How, how do you live in your authenticity or find that yeah. space? I'm sure it's a yeah. pro- ongoing process, like you said, but. Yeah. I have found
2: the most helpful thing to help me be aware when I'm wound up and unbound up is I have to put myself intentionally around other people who maybe are not like me mm. um, people who don't look like me people who don't think like me people who don't feel like I do I think that human nature we can be tempted to surround ourselves with sameness and to just be honest like I I my I have been coached by a amazing black woman who has navigated some of the hardest waters of faith with me. Mm-hmm. And her journey through life is different than mine. And I mm-hmm. see things through a different lens and I can see where I'm wound up and bound up that she sees in me that I didn't see in myself. You know, I have a dear friend who's um, who's here from Honduras, uh, comes from a hard background of abuse and uh, trauma. And then she's now in our country um, as a Latina experiencing different things. Um, I, and it's not just race, like any anything that can have another human being live an experience It's different than you. Forming real relationship with people who aren't like me helps me understand that, I guess. And um, makes me want to understand their experience, and oftentimes I find they have freedom in areas I don't, and vice versa. I have freedom freedom in some areas I haven't experienced, and it's that shared experience that helps me. Well, and don't I, I mean people tend to call each other out
0: when they're sharing. You know, I it sounds. You know, maybe your mentor uh, every once in a while has said, "Hang on." I mean, i I don't want to say anything explicit here, but but you, they call you
1: on your crap sometimes. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> and, and You can we pass on your own podcast, Mom. It's okay. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, they call you
0: on your bullshit. Um, <laughs> but the but the other part, it's I also think we we get more authentic as I mean, I'm 60 years old and I'm I'm learning stuff every single day, especially when I get to talk to people like you. Last week we did a podcast with a woman who was sexually abused as a child when she was four years old, but then went on to um, create this ministry of helping um, survivors of sex trafficking. And when I – there's this there's this process that i don't completely understand but when you're like you say when you're with people who are living lives that are very different from yours when you're continuing to learn about the human condition and you're making yourself really open to how other people's lives have been changed and rewritten n- not in ways they planned you know none of us None of us, when we were in sixth grade, would have written the story of the life that we've ended up with. And yet, what a gift it's been mm. in a lot of ways. So it, so you're right. When you expose yourself to people who aren't like you, regardless of their situation, it makes you more aware of how you are. Am I saying that in any way eloquently? I can't. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, think. I, I also, I love that advice too, because... I mean, I w- yeah, It's such a great advice because I was going to say sorry, kind of lost my train of thought. But I love that advice because I think when you're feeling down or just not feeling good about yourself, or you know, you're not in a great state of mind, you can tend to go like into your comfort zone more, or tend to just try to be, um, you know, just really kind of isolate. And that's that's sometimes more like the the automatic. Response, but having that knowing that okay, actually I do need to get out and expose myself to other people and also um, get get some perspective on things too. I think that's such a great way to put it. So I love that advice.
0: <laughs> well, we have to talk about gratitude. I mean, I'm well, I'm I'm so grateful that you're sharing your story. But do you have a daily practice, do you have the, uh, you know, my daily practice is the Anne Lamont prayer where the minute I wake up, I say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> She's my favorite author. I love oh, just mine her. too. I love her. She's so good. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Anne Lamont Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please. <laughs> We're always
1: either quoting Anne Lamott or Brene Brown on here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our two favorites.
0: Well, and have you read Frederick Biekner? He's one of my favorites too. A she little bit, yeah. Oh, she says he's her favorite theologian. But uh, I talk, talk, Let's talk about your gratitude practice, if you if you want.
2: Yeah. So, it's. I feel like it's changed over the years. I I feel like I'll get in a mode where, before I went to bed, I'll fill a whole one page journal. So I did a journal for a little while. And that helped sometimes it's, um, you know, with my daughter, like we'll practice, um, she'll get in the car, we'll do top fives of the day. At one point before dinner, we used to have goods of the day. So we'd go around and say that. And we've, we've ebbed in and out of these practices over the years based on our schedule and just where we are as a family. Um, but I will say this week, I was thinking about this question and I've had, just a hard week, a painful week. And uh, one that, you know, it's bad when my husband says this rivals cancer, like just, Mm -hmm. just a gruesome week. And I've been in those places lately where it's just dark and the places where the suffering of life takes you can be really hard. And as I was looking for just not even steps out, but just like the next stepping stone through it this weekend um i had the idea of like find find some gratitude like find joy and so i actually went and i, I bought like four cards and there have been a couple people who've just been pivotal in navigating the past week and so i sat down on sunday and wrote these cards out to him and just you know, thank them for being there and kind of the role they've played. And looking back even a few days now, since then, I do see that 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 was helpful. You know, it's just probably as helpful to me to sit down and, and thank them for being there as it will be for them to receive that. And that's what I'm kind of learning is sometimes if I'm not in a place where I can't fill a note, like a whole page of what I'm thankful for in the moment, like, even just one card or like four cards being grateful for the light I did find in the darkness is helping me, um, make my way through. Danielle, I, I, I don't
0: want to, uh, everything you just said was so important, but you also said, I'm not, I wasn't looking for the step it's for the way out. I was just looking for the next stepping stone through. And I thought uh, it's, mm-hmm people tend to look for really quick solutions to suffering or the easiest solutions to suffering and when i when i was diagnosed my pan, my pastor said he prayed this prayer not that i would be healed or anything he just said i want you to have blinders on you know god give her blinders so that she'll only see the next thing in front of her because you can do with grace Mm-hmm. and with god 's help and with the love of people, you can do the next thing in front of you and I think that 's an important lesson that people people tend to try to think in these huge broad sweeping um, results or answers, and sometimes it 's just the next stepping stone that was
2: mm-hmm.
0: that was that was important for me to hear at that moment i'm mm-hmm.
2: Thanks. Yeah, that was, that was something I felt like I gave me the other day is I tend to be that person. I'm like a communications planner, like for a career. So I'm always thinking like, what's the goal? What's the big picture? What are the strategies to get there? Like I'm constantly thinking ultimate, where are we heading? And so when I find myself in a struggle of challenge, it's like, I can't think like that right now. And um, I was actually on a jog. And that was something where I was was jogging around my neighborhood. I'm trying to get back in shape. Running's hard for me after all the cancer stuff. And I was jogging and I was like, I don't think I can keep going. And I just, I heard the Lord say, can you just make it to the next tree? And I went on a jog because I was so stressed with everything going on. And so I was at a tree and he goes, I'm not asking you to make it home. I'm asking you to make it to the next tree and I'll get you home. And so I was like, all right. I'll jog to the next tree. So I jogged in the next tree and then I walked for a little bit. And then he said, again, when you get to the next tree, can you start again and then make it to the next tree? And so it was kind of just that like, okay, I'm going to get amazing. to the next tree. <laughs> well, you just made me cry. <laughs> because
0: that's really all he asks is get. Yeah. Do the we next as thing. people
2: want, we as people want the big picture, but typically mm-hmm. he's a god of today. And
1: the
0: small steps. So, wow, Well, thanks. he is a god of today, and and
1: yeah, it's amazing. I was getting goosebumps when you were saying that. It's Just that's powerful. Yeah, this is uh, fr- this is fresh stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in, and I'm, in real I'm life
2: stuff. So.
1: Yeah, and I'm sorry. You know, we're catching you on such a hard weekend. I'm glad you're still able to to talk with us because I think your your story is so important to share. We would hate to to miss out on it but yeah but i hope things get better i hope thanks yeah
2: (laughs) i debated i was like am i am i in a place to do this today and i didn't i didn't get the sense that i needed to cancel um so i feel like i'm stepping on this like into this pulpit at the moment but (laughs) it's like if the lord you know, I think sometimes we need to see the vulnerability to an authenticity of the struggle. And that's where, like, people, you know, it was, I don't know, Bunny, if you felt this way, but publishing in my book, it's like, I wanted to honor both sides of this coin of, like, yeah, like, I'm still here. Like, I'm a survivor, 20 years, I'm doing awesome. I've had so many blessings come my way, like, the things I've done at Fight C.R.C., I couldn't have written that story. And Mm. it's been absolutely incredible. And sometimes I think people see that and they think, oh gosh, like things always just work out for her Mm. or like, you know, that's good for her. And it's like, you know, there is a whole other side to this coin that is just covered in suffering. And I think we need authentic stories that show both. And so I've been challenging myself to say, i can't just tell my story on these happy good days about all the amazing things it's like i can't curate the instagram feed and just show you what i want you to see i think we from each other we need to see both and we need to see oh gosh you're having like the hardest week of your life you've had since you know 10 years ago how are you getting through it and oh my gosh this all turned out for good no wonder you had hope because god did come through for you it's not a week where I can say that God came through for me and he's good to his promises in this situation I'm facing now because I'm in it. But I'll mm-hmm. say I'm hoping in that because I've had so many other situations in my life and I've seen other stories where he does come through in a way only he can.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other, the, the other side of the coin too that we have to share is that um, while we survived, a lot of people didn't you know at the end of my book I talk you know I yeah you know we lost people like bell and like rose and you know we um you know there is this ongoing story which is every day um at least and that's you know I wrote the book because um I needed to find a way to share that story but I also needed to find a way to honor the people Who had, and I had a rose in my life. Who was my cancer mentor here at home? Who didn't survive, and you know I had to find a way to honor those people, but I also had to find a way to create some awareness um, to to make other people feel brave enough to tell their story or to say, "I lost someone as well," or "I have these weird symptoms." I mean. My son wrote my, read my book and he's like, oh my gosh, I have to go get a colonoscopy because I'm having these <laughs> yeah. weird symptoms. My own son. But, Good. but you know, we, we have to tell stories and then they're not all rosy and they're not, you know, some weeks are, you know, some days are diamonds, some days are stones. Those are, those are cliches because they're true. Mm. And so it's like you said, it's a matter of getting through things. It's not a, it's not a, that's why I thought, I don't want to do a recap where we put this in a neat little package and tie it in a bow because our stories are ongoing and mm-hmm. everyone's suffering is ongoing and everyone's triumphs are ongoing. It's, that's how life works. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that you took an hour out of this week to share okay. something that is, It you know, it's, it's for, if one person Hears you, the two of us talking, the three of us talking, because Johanna was my caregiver, so she suffered probably more, yeah. more than I did most days, um, because I was so neurotic and so cranky. But um, <laughs> if somebody hears our stories and and gets that this isn't the end of the story, this is just part
2: of it, isn't that important? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. and for them to see us you know i th- i know i think it's important how long we've been in survivorship Is it, how long yeah. Bunny? has it been for you
0: um eight years okay. no ned
2: yeah so, N-E-D. so stage four eight years you know i'm a teenage survivor i was diagnosed 20 years ago and it's like i think that not only newly diagnosed need to see and hear this but also those almost who feel lost in Survivorland land of they're oh, trying man. to find purpose and destiny they're still feeling all the fear and like the anxiety and they're trying to figure out do i hang on to this cancer thing do i let it go is it part of me anymore is it not what do i do with it yeah. you know you and i both wrote books you've got this amazing podcast like i'm still we're we're doing advocacy it's like I think they need to see people like us. And I think there's a lot of other people out there like us who need to speak up and say, Hey, like I'm a survivor and this is how I'm still coping with it. It it looks different than it does when you're first diagnosed or the first few years out. But I mean, that's the goal is more survivors. So I feel like, um, I don't know about you, but I feel um, like called to help lead this group of people trying to navigate this new world. because it's, it's tricky.
0: I do too. And I, and I, um, one of the things that I do is I I serve on the board of a local cancer foundation and we just help people with the tiniest um, expenses to get to their treatment. You know, we, Mm. Northern New Mexico has a lot of poverty. And so we, you know, we give them gas cards and grocery cards. And, and I think those, and those people will come into the office when I'm there sometimes and they'll say, I didn't, you look so good. I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know this is where we could end up. And I said, well, we're all going to end up in different places with different stories, but just continue to do the next thing in front of you and let us Mm -hmm. help you continue to do that.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I'm so grateful that you came on and we, and we want to hear from you again. We want to talk about more of your story and I want to, you know, want to hear how, this week and the next week and the next week went for you.
2: Absolutely. Is that fair? Well, thanks. That's fair. I yeah. would love to join you guys again. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so thank much, you so Danielle. much. Thanks for having me. That's all we've got
0: today, friends. I want to thank you for joining the Life Saving Gratitude podcast with your host, Bunny Terry, that's me, and my producer and assistant, Johanna Medina. We feel like we're in the business of sharing the stories that save us, and we hope you'll share as well by letting your friends and family know about the podcast. Follow and like us wherever you listen, and please take the time to leave a review. Whether it's a stellar comment or a suggestion, we are open to suggestions all the time. Also, follow us on Instagram at lifesavinggratitudepod. You can also follow me personally at Bunny Terry Santa Fe. You can sign up at my website at bunnyterry.com to receive weekly emails about how to become the ultimate gratitude nerd. Thanks so much for checking in.